Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, hello, hello. It's Shira and Ryan back in the studio together. Yeah, We're yeah. reunited. We're and back. it feels right. It feels so good. How you mess up that song? It's like the, the lyrics are just so easy. That's kind of my classic thing that I and do. You just messed it up. I just added it my feels own words. right. <laughs> feels so it. good. <laughs> my goodness, that's uh, what type of day this is going to right? be. Right, get um, ready for it. You had a busy weekend. You were co-hosting a cool event yesterday, right, or last night? <laughs> sure doesn't even know. <laughs> no, it was, <laughs> no, it was yesterday. It was yesterday. Um, it was at, leading up uh, to Pride. Heart WeHo. Um, yeah. yeah, this weekend was busy. It was full of celebration of my fr- a friend's birthday and then also um, just some work stuff. But you were also busy. You were out of town. You were oh with Gary my God. in the crew. I was in Minneapolis at VCon with all the nerds. Yeah, it looked very <laughs> And nerdy. some celebrities, you know, They're nerdy celebrities. Nerds. Yeah, Had a lot of fun. Uh, talking NFTs and crypto She's like things. like the Oprah of NFTs. You know, She's I'll take Super it. Super Soul Sunday <laughs> about imaginary things. That's exactly what she's doing on the main stage of VCon. Oh my God. Yeah, you can go to my Instagram to check that all out. Yeah, I literally just landed before the show and I'm ready to do great things today. Are you? <laughs> I'm trying. I'm happy someone is. It was a busy weekend, but yeah, I'm happy to be back in LA. And you know what? I get back. We're seeing links in all these stories around monkeypox. What is going on? It's pretty intense. We talked a little bit about it on Friday, but I think we need to dive in more because the the it's it's getting scary out here in these streets. That's why I'm kind of happy I'm now in a relationship because supposedly it's being it's spreading through sex or something. It is. So I'm just having sex with one person. With gay and bisexual men. Okay, it's not like you are in those categories. Maybe I could hook up with a bi man. Maybe not but anymore. You would be cheating on you. Not partner. now. I'm saying that's why I'm, <laughs> I'm in a relationship. But she just anyway. told us she cheated with the no. bi man, Chris. No. <laughs> um, Monkeypox and that whole conversation, answering all your questions, and we're gonna just. Uh, you know, figure out what's actually happening at 3.35 p.m. Pacific, 6.35 p.m. Eastern. Plus, in 30 minutes, Vox joins us to discuss the progressive ideas winning during the primaries. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. Uh, Starbucks has announced plans to cover travel costs for employees who must travel more than 100 miles to access 
gender affirming care in the wake of the multiple states that have attempted to criminalize this type of care. And of course, comes after a draft of a Supreme Court decision impacting abortion rights was leaked. Um, So Starbucks is also beyond that. So that's really great that they're doing that. They're also leaving Russia for good. They paused operations and stopped shipments of its products to uh, to Russia in March. Now they've made the decision to exit and no longer have a bread presence in the market. And employees in the country, which they have about 2,000, will get paid for six more months. Starbucks will also help them look for new jobs outside of the company, which is very nice. They first opened in Russia in 2007. And as of March, they had 130 Russian locations. Isn't that wild? Yeah, that is actually... Yeah. Uh, Moving on to uh, VP Kamala Harris, who says a military plane carrying more than 70,000 pounds of specialty baby formula has landed in the U.S. and a second one will arrive later uh, this week. Here she is today. I do want to start by providing an update about the infant formula shortage. Um, The first military plane landed yesterday with more than 70,000 pounds of specialty formula and the second will arrive later this week. Uh, I know this is a scary situation for our parents and the caregivers who are taking care of these babies. Um, Our administration is working around the clock to ensure that there is enough safe baby formula available for all who need it, and it is truly one of our highest priorities. Doing something about that crisis that was happening here. Still doesn't seem like a lot. It's only 70,000. Well, it seems like the, between the emergency order of like getting that factory to continue you know doing how many this. people there are in this country? Yep. How many babies? No, I actually that? don't. If you ask me the actual number, I don't know. But I, I have a sense. I do yes. think they, they're doing what they can. Yeah, that's exactly. all that matters. But it is. It's really sad, though. Doesn't seem like that's a lot. Yeah, very scary, too. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? Well, there was uh, wedding bells this weekend in Italy as Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker, or Baker, is it Barker? Yeah, I was right. Okay, Barker finally have gotten married. Like, they got married in a a little, you know, small wedding, but they did a bigger thing um, this weekend. But guess what? They're being called out for mocking Catholicism with their lavish Italian wedding ceremony. So it, w- it felt like we were watching House of Gucci as everyone <laughs> got into their finest yeah. of Italian garments. And um, a lot of people were really upset about it. So Travis has spoken publicly about his ties to the Catholic faith. It's mm-hmm. unclear whether Kardashian is a member of the church. However, um, Basically, uh, Courtney has shared plenty of uh, texts about faith, quotes, and Bible passages via her Instagram stories over the year. One person wrote on Twitter saying, kind of weird that Courtney's wedding is like this Catholic aesthetic, like the Virgin Mary on her dress and her wedding veil. A second added, I just really feel like Travis and Courtney's wedding is mocking the Catholic religion. They don't symbolize uh, religious people at all. Just feels like mockery. I'm not Catholic, but just don't doesn't sit right with me. Honestly, mm-hmm. I I understand where they're coming from, but then also like you can't dictate someone's like, yeah, like relationship how, with their faith. Exactly how they represent, like yeah. they don't represent properly to who? Do you? And of course they're going to make it like you know, I guess glamorous in the ways that they do. It's the damn Kardashians. Are we dumb? They put on a show. But at this point, I mean, I didn't have any problem with. It. I thought everyone looked fabulous, and like I said, it did look like it was House of Gucci. Um, but everyone was wearing Dolce and Gabbana. Let's just put it that way. Either way, they're married now. The whole family was there. Um, and uh, Kim's blonde. 
Mm. Courtney, uh, Kendall had some time. Struck. She was struggling going up the stairs because her dress was too tight. That's everything you really Stop need to know about Stop wearing such tight court- dresses. Oh, and apparently Beyonce was at Courtney Kardashian's wedding. She landed in... Um, really? Yeah, she landed in Italy and checked into a hotel. Who knows if that's true, but that was a rumor over the weekend. Um, well, then... Which is quite strange. Then Pete Davidson... Um, did his uh, final... No, nope, we're not talking about that yet. Thank you very oh, much. That, Stop gonna, getting yeah. into other team reports. So I was just wondering if he was there. That is the <laughs> team report for now. We got okay. more coming up next hour. After this, <laughs> President Biden has stepped in to protect Taiwan against a possible attack from China, but now China is responding back. What it all means after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. President Biden said that the U.S. would intervene militarily if China attempts to take Taiwan by force. And within hours, China commented with strong dissatisfaction and firm opposition to Biden's comments, saying it will not allow any external force to interfere in its, quote, internal affairs. And uh, here's President Biden with more. We didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are. That's the commitment we made. That's the commitment we made. And joining us right now again is political analyst Ryan Basham. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Hey. Yeah, hey. So uh, this was a pretty bold statement to make at the beginning of his latest trip to Asia. How has this deviated from how the U.S. and Biden has approached China and Taiwan in the past? Well, you know, um, Biden's great at uh, so many parts of the job. But one thing he does do is occasionally say a little bit more than he should. Um, Officially, um, under the one China policy, um, the United States recognizes China's claim to Taiwan, but doesn't officially acknowledge that their claim is correct. Um, And so as a result of that, for many, many years, uh, the U.S. has had no formal diplomatic ties to Taiwan um, as a kind of a means to not poke the bear. Um, But on the other side of that, we also um, are obligated by another law that was passed by Congress to um, support them militarily insofar as we provide them arms. Um, There is no, so far as I know, um, explicit obligation on the part of the United States to defend Taiwan militarily, but that is kind of um, what uh, the government has been winking and nodding a little bit at lately. Um, you know, Taiwan has continued, or sorry, China has, well, they have stepped up their efforts to antagonize Taiwan. And, uh, you know, so we hear more whispers about the possibility of the U.S. defending them militarily. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it just it remains to be seen what actually happens. You know, so many things could change between, you know, now and in a possible invasion by China of Taiwan. Um, and it really just depends on what the world looks like at that time, I think. Well, yeah. How complicated can this get, especially under the one China policy? It could get immensely complicated. You know, I mean, the circumstances are different in many ways from the circumstances surrounding Ukraine. Um, you know, uh, uh, Russia has a much smaller economy than actually uh, than the United States and actually even, you know, countries like Germany and France. Um, and so, you know, they're less impacted by, say, um, being a, a pariah to the U.S. on trade, whereas China, if China were to invade Taiwan, um, you know, the U.S. is the biggest, you know, their, their biggest export partner is the U.S. So, you know, that alone complicates it uh, a lot um, for China and actually, I think, is a deterrent for them invading. And a lot of this bluster that China does is really more for their, you know, domestic audience, for them to put on their state run news uh, than it is for, you know, for us to actually worry about too much. 
But that could happen at, you know, that could change at any time. And in large part, what impacts it is who is president. Let's say Donald Trump uh, becomes president again in 2024. You know, he's he he really likes Xi Jinping, their, you know, their president slash dictator. So, um, you know, he might go, oh, well, I'm cool with this. I'm going to turn it up the other way while China, you know, tries to subsume, you know, Taiwan. So it depends on who's president and a lot of other things. Well, why would he say that, you know, we would intervene in Taiwan and versus Ukraine? Well, um, uh, lots of things. First of all, um, where do I start? Yeah. How long do you have? So, um, first of all, you know, Biden tends to say what he really thinks. Um, and you know, which sometimes goes against official policy because what he thinks is probably say in this instance, what we would do, but saying that's what we would do can cause problems. So he probably shouldn't have said it. Um, but, um, you know, if, if the U.S. went into the Ukraine militarily, that would shut off, um, you know, a, a car- armed conflict between Russia and NATO and ev- effectively be World War III. The circumstances are very different with Taiwan. There is uh, no NATO-like alliance um, to worry about, you know, pitting China against, you know, a massive part of the rest of the world. Um, it's just that the, the circumstances are different. So, you know, it would in some ways perhaps be less consequential to the U.S., um, militarily to defend Taiwan than it would be to defend Ukraine. But then again, there's the economic thing, which is totally different. Yeah. Okay, so I guess what should we be, as we wrap this conversation up, what should we really be looking out for here? Is it, it can this get, you know, worse really quickly? You know, I I, I doubt it. Um, you know, the at, at this point, the Chinese government is not really officially ready militarily to do this. Um so it probably would be some years before it would happen. But, you know, who knows? I think at the end of the day, this is not something you should be staying up at night worried about. Um, but, you know, one day it could be an issue. So if you have, say, family in China, you know, it could be impact you. But I wouldn't expect it to anytime soon. Ugh, why okay. is everybody in the mood to start wars and invade oh. places they have no business being in? <laughs> Go read a book. Thank you, Ryan Basham, for joining us. <laughs> My pleasure. All right. Ryan Basham is a political analyst. We love having him on. What's coming up next, Ryan? All right. So our exactly (laughs) the Ryan on the show. Um, Are Democratic voters swinging too far left? And is the party ready to move with them? We have more coming up next with Vox.com. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. All right, so Democratic voters are moving their party to the left and honestly dragging candidates with them. Can the Democratic Party actually update with the times? It seems like they may be having a hard time. Does the center really actually, or does the moderate Democrat even exist anymore? Well, joining us to break this down is Christian Paz, a Vox.com reporter. Thanks for being on the show. Happy to be here again. So I love that you pose this question, is the center shrinking in the Democratic primaries? What are you seeing that made you think of this question in this moment? Yeah, so I think there are two things to to look at um, on this question. The first is just because of redistricting and gerrymandering the actual number of competitive House seats that are up for Um, they're up for election in November and that are being contested in the primaries is much smaller than in previous years. So we have a much, uh, you know, we can look more closely at the kinds of contests that are happening on the Democratic side much more because there's not that many of them anymore. Um, And in those races, it definitely seems like 
the way that candidates are speaking has changed a lot. Um, the center of the Democratic Party has shifted a lot to the left in general. Um, you see this on questions like abortion, like almost no House uh, Democrats um, outwardly say that they're anti-abortion, for example. Um, you also see that when it comes to like raising the minimum wage or expanding access to health care or, um, you know, uh, taxing uh, you know the rich a little bit more. Mm. Those kinds of proposals are more mainstream now. Um, and it's not as controversial in the Democratic Party to say, to hold the position that was maybe 10 years ago or even four to five years ago was definitely considered more of a liberal position. Yeah. Um, so now there's kind of like a contest happening to see who can go furthest to the left without actually being elected, who can be most progressive-ish without actually being a progressive, per se. Um, and that's something that's really, like, we're seeing it in a lot of the like, primaries that, that have happened so far, where, um, you know, the progressive candidate might not win the contest, but the topics that the winning candidate who might be more t- of a moderate is talking about are definitely more in line with the progressive camp than like a conservative side or even like the old centrist uh, might say, like to try to find some kind of middle path. So when we look at, you know, like the center shrinking, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is anyone really making the moderate democratic argument in these primaries? And the answer is really like, not really. Um, yeah. Not really anymore. Yeah, and and let's talk about where we're seeing this happen and some of the the big names coming up that we should be noticing. Definitely. Um, so definitely, the ones that were big coming out of last week were Pennsylvania. Um, that was where Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman very easily won the contest there for um, the Democratic nomination for the Senate. He didn't call himself a progressive, so he definitely falls into this camp of somebody who. Um, ran on a lot of progressive issues um, and has a history of being, you know, on the progressive side of things, um, but doesn't call himself that and did take some more moderate positions on like fracking and gun control and um, on Title 42, the immigration um, pandemic rule. Um, also, in, in, um, in, in, you know, coming out of Tuesday, we had um, in Washington, I mean, in Oregon state, we had. Um, you know, progressives really beating a lot of the moderates that were challenging them or were trying to hold on to their seats. Um, and that's an example of a place where it's mostly Democrats who vote in that state in general. Um, and in the Democratic contest, you had folks who were aligned with the progressive ideas of, you know, having more access to healthcare, whether that's single payer or Medicare, medical for all right. or something similar. Um, and, and also um, this happened in North Carolina where, um, some of the even moderate or establishment Democrats who won their races there did so by not just outraising and outspending their opponents, but by talking to, talking up and at least paying lip service to ideas about um, affordable housing, um, yeah. ideas about climate change. And, and I, th- kind of I think it's what's really interesting is we've seen how kind of Democrats it created infighting when we started seeing more progressive candidates come into the fold. 
I wonder, mm-hmm. yeah. is that going to continue to happen as we see, you know, Nancy Pelosi doesn't really get along with the squad. And if more progressive folks come in, maybe that gives more of the opportunity for the squad to be able to do what they need to get done. And it, it creates even more infighting. So I guess, where do we go from here when we're looking yeah. at more progressive candidates coming in? And you got about 30 seconds left before we wrap. Yeah. So definitely because it's looking like Democrats will likely lose more seats in in the House um, during this cycle, um, the seats that will be filled by Democrats in solid Democratic seats, like districts, most likely will be resulting in like more progressives winning those races in those primaries. So you'll have a stronger and bigger progressive squad that has more influence in their party. And then what that means in general and the rest of the country is that progressives, whether their candidates are winning, their ideas have definitely changed the party, definitely changed American politics, and they can definitely claim a win in how they've managed to just fundamentally change American politics. Well, all right. Thank you so much for joining us. That is uh, Vox.com writer Christian Paz. We love having you on every time, so we hope to have you on soon. Thank you. All right. What's coming up? Yeah. Next up, the Catholic Church is speaking out on abortion rights and sending a concerning message to Nancy Pelosi. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The Catholic Church is messing with Pelosi. The conservative Catholic Archbishop of San Francisco said recently, a few days ago, well, Friday, um, that he will no longer allow U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to receive communion because of her support for abortion rights. That is ridiculous. Taking that away from her. Which I don't think, like, what makes it, what makes him able to do that? I mean, I guess because he's the Archbishop, but like... That's just this this line between church and state is just so messy. I mean, like I watched the view. And so Sonny Hostin talks about how she's a devoted Catholic. I mean, yeah. that's her religion. She's gone to Catholic school. She's very much that. And she went on to the view thinking the same ways as this archbishop did. Like there's no wiggle room around the idea of being pro-life or pro-choice. She still has a stance that is very pro-life, but she understands, like, not pushing that on other people. Yeah. Not pushing that on, like, her religious beliefs are her religious beliefs. And the fact that this person is doing this, it's just, like, ridiculous, in my opinion. As I say, if one religion thinks that they should be... Uh, you know, including this and integrating this into policy, then why don't we just bring in every religion? You know what I mean? Like, that's how problematic it is, right? Uh, but of course, it goes back to... Well, I mean, for the, most part, I feel like every religion is probably, like, pro-life. Probably, it's because it, when you're in... Yeah, when you are religious, definitely. I mean, one, there's just... You have a more conservative lifestyle and behavior and when it comes to that type of stuff. Yeah, but it doesn't... I mean, that that's my issue that I've always had with religion. It it doesn't allow you to be just a human who has nuances and experiences through life. It, like, uses religion to create this fear around if you make the wrong decision, then you're going to a certain place or not that is not oh, yeah. the dedicated spot. And for me, I just never... I don't I don't like that and I don't like that it's become such a huge part of our political division because it shouldn't be. Um, No one should be using the tools of religion to control anyone's bodies. And for me, this idea of just doing this, even though I may, you know, Nancy Pelosi isn't my favorite. At the end of the day, right is right and wrong is wrong. And this is wrong. 
Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, the uh, Catholic bishops or, oh, sorry, the Cardinal in Washington, Archbishop of Washington. He said that Biden is welcome to receive the sacrament there. So, but, uh, Why is Biden? And see, that's misogyny. Why is Biden and <laughs> yeah. not And why do you even need Nancy that? Pelosi. Exactly. Why do you have to Biden bring believes up Nancy the same Pelosi? thing. Anyway, well, that's happening. Uh, you know, the news between church and state. Uh, now, coming up next, Will Smith has a revealing interview right before the big Oscar slap. We're going to share the clip after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yes, we're back and more music coming up right here on Channel Q. Right now we're getting into some more show. Uh, You know, Will Smith had a very revealing interview recently and it actually had been shot right before the big Oscar slap. So we're going to be playing that and what he discovered about himself um, in the tear report in a moment. Stick around Mm -hmm. for that. Plus what you need to know about the latest monkeypox outbreak and how it's spreading amongst the LGBTQ community. That is in 30 minutes. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. The United Nations AIDS Agency, UNAID, spoke out against homophobic and racist coverage of the recent outbreak of monkeypox in the UK and the US. They said in a press release, lessons from the AIDS uh, response show that stigma and blame directed at certain groups of people can rapidly undermine outbreak response. Multiple news outlets have reported on the outbreak by specifying the gender and sexuality of patients and highlighting that queer men were the first victims. Yeah, like for what? Well, we'll talk to Dr. James Simmons about that. I mean, but like, I'm talking about for what and like highlighting that that specifically. Maybe... It's a assume that oh if it's a certain type but yeah if you have sex you have sex with anyone you could spread <laughs> I don't know yeah well yeah I'm interested to hear his thoughts on that uh, moving on to Texas Governor Greg Abbott who's continuing to take action around border security here he is talking to reporters today if they have a large number of people who are milling around that uh, we will put them on buses and send them to Washington D.C. Uh, as of today, we've sent 45 buses to Washington, D.C., and there's a whole lot more uh, where that's coming from. We don't want communities like Eagle Pass uh, to be overrun uh, with a large number of migrants who are milling around in the streets, and we want to alleviate that challenge that cities like Eagle Pass are dealing with uh, by uh, putting these people on buses and sending them to Washington, D.C. Well. Some on the right are also pushing Abbott to go one step further um, and declare an invasion under the U.S. Constitution and begin using state personnel to deport migrants. Of course they are. Yeah. Uh, Moving on to Russia, who permanently banned nearly 1,000 Americans, including, not surprisingly, President Biden, VP Harris. Um, And on the list also included some Republicans, tech execs, journalists, lawmakers who have died and uh, regular U.S. citizens, and even actor Morgan Freeman. What did he do? Um, of, of course, these are people that have spoken out against their invasion of Ukraine. One person who's not on the list, also not surprising, Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. That was what's trending this hour, what's happening in entertainment news. All right, let's talk about Will Smith. Um, because in an interview recorded before the Oscars with Dave Le- uh, David Letterman, um, basically, he revealed that he hallucinated about losing his career. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So he described taking an ayahuasca 
trip that gave him this startling vision. It was revealed during uh, in his upcoming David Letterman interview um, on David's uh, show called My Next Guest Needs No Introduction on Netflix. And they literally taped this interview prior to the Academy Awards. And of course, during that uh, the Academy Awards ceremony, he slapped presenter Chris Rock on stage after he made a joke referencing his wife, Jada Pickett-Smith's hair loss. And he has since had several high-profile projects delayed. Here he is, though, opening up about, like, him admitting he was terrified of taking ayahuasca, how it happened. Um, And this is actually, I'm going to play a clip of him describing this moment that he's hallucinating. Take a listen. So I'm drinking, I'm sitting there, and then all of a sudden it's, it's like I start seeing all of my money flying away. And my house is flying away and my career is going away. And I'm like, oh, oh, and I'm trying to like grab for my money and my career. My whole life is getting destroyed. So this is your fear. This is my fear. In real life. And I'm in there, but yeah. I'm in there and I'm, I'm just wanting to vomit and all of that. And I hear a voice saying, this is what the it is. This is what the life is. And I'm going, oh, oh and I hear Willow screaming, Daddy, help me, Daddy, how come you won't help me? I stopped caring about my money. I just want to get to Willow. I stopped caring about my house. I stopped caring about my career. And I get to the point where I settle down and the voice is still at 100%. I still hear Willow screaming. My money is still flying away, but I'm going and I'm totally calm, even though there's hell going on in my mind. When I came out of it, I realized that anything that happens in my life, I can handle it. Oh, all right. Yeah, I mean, this idea of like his, his, his halluce, like his vision of him like losing everything and then a week later or two weeks later, you know, uncertain things happen. And it's also um, your biggest, I mean, that's his biggest fear, probably. His biggest fear was coming to fruition. And he talked about how while doing ayahuasca, he described the high as creating two realities that are both 100% present at the same time. He said it's not superimposed over this reality, they're totally separate. And um, he called it the individual most hellish psychological experience of my life. Intense. I I mean, if you want to watch this, I think the interview is coming out um, soon. Well, the series premiered on May 20th, so it actually probably is out right now. Um, And they're saying that Will was pictured back in January filming the interview. So this was at the top of this year. Okay. Yeah, super intense. That's your T-Report. We got more coming up next hour. Hopefully he has some tools to deal with all of that. Uh, But coming up, the doctor who sued her children's hospital after they forced her to pause gender-affirming care, uh, her lawyer actually joins us right after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A Texas doctor won a court order allowing her to temporarily continue providing transgender care for minors, despite a state directive calling it child abuse. And joining us right now is lawyer representing Dr. Lopez, Charla Aldis. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And you're doing this pro bono, which is incredible. So thank you for your work. Tell us more about this case and your client, Dr. Lopez. Yeah, I, I can tell you, Dr. Lopez is one of the finest human beings um, I've met in a long, long time. And she came to me because she was literally uh, at the end of a rope trying to find out a solution to help her patients. Um, it's been in our pleadings and quite a bit in the news, but she was brought into uh, an office of one of the bosses at UT Southwestern, first of all, back in May of last year, and told that they were possibly going to close the Genesis Clinic. And Dr. Lopez was the physician who was the person that started the Genesis Clinic, which was a multidisciplinary care clinic um, for transgender youth. And it was really cutting edge and was saving lives 
I mean, I don't say that figuratively, I say it literally. Children who had been through therapy, had made serious suicide attempts several times, were finding life-saving help at the Genesis Clinic. Anyway, she was told at UT Southwestern that the governor or someone in his office had called and and, uh, basically said they need to shut the clinic down. She was hopeful that wouldn't happen, but then in November of last year, she was told that they were that very day taking down the website for the Genesis Clinic, that it would be no more, with no notification to the parents or the patients. Uh, Phone lines were taken down, and she was told that she could no longer provide endocrine care, that would be puberty suppressant or hormone therapy, to any of her patients, new patients that she was uh, seeing for gender dysphoria. So she had tried to push back internally and done everything within her power to advocate for her patients, but she hit a brick wall. Mm. So she came to see me and said, can you help me? I, I've got to continue to help my patients. And I said, absolutely. Let's Let's start talking. Let's see the best way to do this. Wow. So once it was, I guess, formally dissolved in November, that meant that what was going on with the patients that were already enrolled with the program and any new patients that wanted to be a part of the program, were they turned away? Well, originally, what what they told her is that even patients that were on the hormone therapy could not continue to receive it. Mm -hmm. But then they backed down, they being UT Southwestern Children's, backed down from that position. And they said, now any new patients that you you start seeing, you can never start puberty suppressant or hormone therapy, the endocrine part of the care for those new patients. And then Dr. Lopez realized that they were even, when people were calling for appointments, they were told they're not seeing any more patients for gender dysphoria. She had one of the administrative assistants keep a log of how many families were calling in seeking help for their children. And within just a very brief period of time, I don't have my notes in front of me, but a very brief period of time, there were over 100 people that were asking to get in for the care that, that she could no longer give. So she was desperate to uh, to do something about it, to allow her to do just what she was trained to do and to yeah. do what best med- medical practices called for, and that is to treat her patients. So what happened now? She's allowed doing this for two weeks, but that's not really going to solve the problem. Well, we, we had initially started by filing what's called a 202 uh, uh discovery petition, and we were just asking that we take the depositions of the two of the higher-ups, Dr. Podolsky and Warner. One is the uh, the head of UT Southwestern, because our belief was this was politically motivated, and we were hoping that maybe we could give these medical institutions and schools an out so that they could do the right thing by their patients and not have to worry about not succumbing to political pressure. But the AG's office, Ken Paxson's office, intervened or or answered on behalf of UT Southwestern. Although the trial court said we could take the depositions, they all filed uh, motions for plea to the jurisdiction and then appealed the case. And the reason we did the 202 at first is Dr. Lopez did not want to sue UT Southwestern. She did not want to sue Children's Medical Center. She just wanted to be able to take care of her patients. Mm -hmm. Right, of course. Well, when they when they appealed it, it was when they appealed it. It was every day that went by, children, you know, were not being seen. So she finally said, "Charla, I'm ready to go. Well, let's file suit." And so we filed an application for a temporary restraining order, a temporary injunction, and a declaratory judgment. And we had our hearing last week on the temporary restraining order. The judge granted it. And so right now, as we speak, Dr. Lopez is seeing new patients. Within, I think it was the first 24 hours, over 50 families called for appointments. 
It's crazy. Wow, that is... But it's only going to be, once again, it's good news, but what happens after the two weeks? Well, it's for 14 days, and then it, it expires at midnight on May 26th. At 1.30 p.m. on May 26th, we have our injunction hearing. Okay. And that's going to be evidentiary. We bring in experts and everything, and that's where asking the court to make it an injunction, which means injunctive relief that will remain in place until we get to the last phase of it, which is the trial phase for a declaratory judgment action, which would make it permanent. Now, the downside is once we get if we hopefully get the injunction, they can appeal, and I don't know what the appellate courts are going to do. But, you know, the way we look at it is every day we can get these children care, we are saving lives. The, the medical literature shows that 41% of transgender youth who are not treated adequately or appropriately attempt suicide at least once, if not more. One out of four of those are successful. So we see every day as saving, potentially saving a child. And that's what keeps us going. All right. Well, that was uh, Charlotte Aldes, a lawyer representing Dr. Lopez in Texas. Thank you so much for being here. And definitely, we would love to keep in touch with you as this continues to progress. And hopefully other doctors will be working with lawyers like you to follow suit across the country, unfortunately. Thank you for having me. On behalf of Dr. Lopez, we really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Next up, the latest news around monkeypox and what you need to know, because according to the World Health Organization, it is spreading next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, we are back and it's hard to avoid the news that there's another outbreak. Monkeypox outbreak. Uh, This is really you know, troubling to see. And at first, you know, you say, oh, maybe it's just a one-off, right? But European nations have actually confirmed dozens of cases in what's become the largest outbreak of monkeypox ever on the continent. And the U.S. has confirmed at least two cases, and Canada has confirmed at least five. Uh, Belgium just introduced a mandatory 21-day quarantine for monkeypox patients, too. So back with us is Dr. James Simmons. What's going on, Dr. James? Hey, y'all. Don't panic. Right? right. Okay. So let's get into it. So many questions. First, can you explain what monkeypox is? Yeah. So it actually should probably be called rodent pox is really uh, what it is. It it was originally thought a virus to have transmitted from rodents into humans, but it was first seen in monkeys in the late 1950s. So that's why they call it monkeypox now. But it's a misnomer that it actually comes from monkeys. We see it in uh, certain sub-Saharan countries in Africa fairly frequently every year. There are sort of these smaller outbreaks that, that involve hundreds of people. They never usually grow beyond that. The reason why this is getting so much attention now, though, is because it is rare to see monkeypox spread outside of those endemic countries into other countries where monkeypox is not generally seen. Also, what we are finding is that there has been transmission to some individuals uh, with monkeypox who have never traveled to those countries in Africa or have known direct contact, first-line direct contact with individuals who have traveled to those countries. So interestingly, some of the outbreak in Europe has actually been among uh, cisgender gay men uh, in very small little pockets in both Europe and Canada. So it has raised the alarm of a lot of public health officials that are saying, okay, hold on, we're seeing monkeypox still in very, 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 very small numbers. And I really want to emphasize that very small numbers, but we're seeing it in people who don't have a direct connection to those endemic countries in sub-Saharan Africa. And so there's a little bit of concern that this might be spreading in other areas that we're not aware of. 
Yeah, I mean, you basically hit on everything that I think we need to know. I mean, the worries are now that because we're seeing a, a ton of cases, I mean, even more than one feels like a ton. People are worried. How is the transmission of these things different from that of like COVID-19? Well, I think we all have so much pandemic fatigue, right? We have so much like COVID fatigue and we're all really traumatized. So I think we're literally having a globalized, like trauma-informed response to this. I do want to remind folks that we see things like this all the time. And we have for years before COVID-19, we will continue to see this in other viruses. So it's very different than SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, in that the transmission of monkeypox is generally skin to skin. So you need very close, intimate contact. Even respiratory droplets that can be part of transmission need to be like someone coughed or sneezed directly on you, okay? This is definitely not an airborne sort of thing whatsoever. Um, So the transmission is very different. Now, while the lethality of monkeypox, so will it, you know, unfortunately cause death, is higher than COVID, it's so, 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 so much less contagious Mm -hmm. than SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, that we don't worry about it as much, and it's way easier to get a hold of it, right? So we do this thing called ring vaccination, which is what they're starting to do in some countries in Europe. And that is we can um, track folks, right, through the public health system. We can track people and track contacts and then vaccinate everyone in those contacts really quickly and start them on antiviral therapy Hmm. um, right away so that we can contain these outbreaks into smaller places. And I think that's one of the other things that is so much bigger to know for folks so that we don't feel so fearful is that at the beginning of COVID-19, remember, this was a virus we didn't know about. It literally did not exist before. We know a lot about monkeypox. We already have vaccines that are very effective against it, and we already have antiviral medications that are really good at treating it. So even though it's it's a worrisome virus, for sure, it can be pretty lethal in some combinations and make people really, really sick. We have the tools already in place to prevent this from coming a big, uh, you know, pandemic. So finally, why, you know, is it wrong that people are mentioning the fact that it's spreading amongst queer men? Um, Is that like, is that something to take note of? Is there a reason why medically that would be important? You know, I'm of two minds of this. So the public health mind of me is, is, you know, just wondering from an epidemiological standpoint, so literally the statistics of this. You know, why is this happening in this particular population? How did this spread happen? Can we contact trace this back to certain individuals? So just with my science hat on, um, I think it's important to know as a queer identified person, like, of course, I'm like, all right, here we go again. They're going to throw the stigma at us. Like, of course, it's on us. Of course, they bring this up, you know, and that it's, you know, a bunch of gay men being promiscuous and they're spreading monkeypox to each other. Like that to me feels really, really problematic. So it is a difficult and very nuanced conversation to have. Um, I will say that as we start to see this spread in other areas, though, it is sort of sort of getting out of these pockets of just, you know, cis-identified gay men yeah. into other folks. But I do want to let you know that it's, right now we only have 190 confirmed or suspected cases in the entire world, 190. So don't lose any sleep over this at night. Keep an eye on it, but don't lose any sleep. Okay. Well, that was Dr. James Simmons. Thank you again. Of course. After this, uh, Senator Ted Cruz is speaking out about something really important, everyone. His thoughts on Pete Davidson. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, Senator Cruz, uh, Ted Cruz, 
you know, he's been going around doing different episodes of his podcast, Verdict with Ted Cruz, some of them in real life as events. And, uh, of course, he records this. And some of these moments, you know, go viral, like this moment, where he decided to speak out about his thoughts on Pete Davidson. Uh, but for context, uh, his co-host, and you'll hear this in the clip in, in a moment, Michael Knowles, read a viewer question asking Cruz about toxic femininity. And, yeah, it ends up, like, including Pete Davidson. Here it is. Pete Davidson. All right. How come that dude gets all of these, like, hot women. Because of toxic femininity, Senator. That is the evidence that something has gone wrong. <laughs> Pete Davidson was dating Kate Beckinsdale. I mean, you're talking underworld. You're talking, like, yeah. super hot vampire <laughs> in black leather trench coat. And mm. you're like, really? The SNL dude? Like, wow. Yeah. That's not weird that a senator is talking about hot how hot first of all women are and then also like talking about some celebrity like this is weird what don't you got a job to do <laughs> well, i guess when you have a podcast you end up just talking about anything and everything no but as a state senator i'm expecting your podcast to be about maybe the things that your constituents voted you in for republicans are so bored they literally have nothing to do except for cause havoc <laughs> In chaos. <laughs> it seems like that. And that's why it was surprising to see Elon Musk's tweet last week saying how, like, how uh, being he wants to support Republicans because Democrats are just making things chaotic. And you're like, yeah. really? Is that I mean, what's happening? And that's the thing. And my thing is, don't try to. He, really, he was getting ahead. If we're talking about Elon Musk, Elon Musk was getting ahead of a story that dropped the next day about him. And sexually harassing yes. someone. And so the fact that yep. he has his own issues, but he fits right in with the Republicans, if we if we want to be quite honest. Uh, yes, um, that is true as things are unraveling. And so, you know, according to this article, because we don't listen to uh, Cruz's podcast, by the way. So we I, wouldn't why know. would I ever? Um, he often comments on pop culture. Uh, he, on, on a podcast episode last year, he described... Uh, Thanos, right? It's called Thanos from the Avengers as a rabid environmentalist. And in 2018, he speculated about who the Simpsons, the Simpsons would vote for. So it seems like he tries to bridge the gap. Crickets. Culture space. Crickets. I don't know. At this point, I think it's like, what does it say about Ted Cruz? What does it say about Pete Davidson? I mean, Pete Davidson literally is talked about, one, globally at this point because of Kardashians, and now in, in the political spectrum. Really, things have gone off the deep ends. All right. Well, uh, coming up next, we've got what's trending this hour. And we're gonna be talking more about the Amber Hood depth trial and about, you know, a, something that you might be doing in a relationship, but it could it could possibly end it. So stick around for that. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, we're back. And more music coming up right here on Channel Q. So don't go anywhere. We got more music for you. Right now, we're getting into some more show, though. Oh, we have a lot going on. The habit that causes most couples to break up. Mm. Yeah. I mean, whether you're in a relationship or not, that's intriguing, right? That's in 30 minutes. Plus, Halsey called her record label out for something they wanted her to do. That's in the two report in a moment. But let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. According to a new morning consult poll, 40% of Republican adults said that they believe teachers can influence students' sexuality and gender identity. Only 27% percent of Democrats and 29% of independents agreed. 
respondents were more likely in the poll to say that teachers can affect students' academic performance, social skills, intelligence, values, and even religious views. But there's a really big number that believe that sexual orientation and gender identity are learned at school. And it might be the reason why many Republican parents don't want LGBTQ people to work with their children. Really? Oh, my God. Wow. It's like a lot of ignorance happening there. Always. There's all, it always is. Um. Now, attorney Ben Crump uh, shared his response to recorded fatal police shootings hitting a record high in the U.S. in 2021, despite public outcry following the police killing of George Floyd. We are set on a record high for police killings in this year. This is, you know, the second year after George Floyd, when we really believed that it was going to be a wake-up call where a tipping point where we didn't see so many of these unjust, highly questionable killings by police, but we still have work to do. I know, Tony, I I continue to say, you know, very honestly, regrettably, that it's been two years and Black people still can't breathe because we haven't got that George Floyd police reform bill passed by the United States Congress, which so many of us were so optimistic about. We are set. That was uh, the attorney for George Floyd and his family, Ben Crump, on Washington Post Live. And actually, according to the Washington Post, police in the United States fatally shot 1,055 people in 2021. Now, moving on to some... Happier news. It seems, according to this study, that a hug can make a big difference for women. Unfortunately, the effect is not as powerful when it comes to men. Researchers researchers analyzed how people responded to stress after a hug from a romantic partner in this study published in the journal PLOS One. Women who got to hug their significant other showed a decrease in the production of cortisol, a stress hormone, compared to those who did not. So isn't that interesting? That's why hugs matter. You gotta hug each other more. Oh, don't hug me. <laughs> well, that's why it says for men. Men didn't get the no, same actually, perk I according to the study. I love hugs. Yep, with I the agree. right people. Exactly. For the right consensual hugs from the right people. Exactly. That, <laughs> that was what's trending this hour, what's happening in entertainment news. Okay, so Hazi is claiming that the her record label wants to create some quote fake viral moment before she's allowed to release any new music. Sign for the T Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So it's so interesting to see how TikTok has kind of like just taken over in ways. That really hurts artists. Halsey is claiming that their record label, Capital Music, uh, won't release their new music until they create a fake viral moment. Um, now, of course, Halsey goes by she, they pronouns, just to put that out there, you know, just to let you know. Mm, yeah. um, but TikTok, uh, basically, they put... they. They wrote on this TikTok saying, basically, I have a song that I love and I want to release ASAP, but my record label won't let me. I've been in this industry for eight years. I've sold over 165 million records, and my record company is saying I can't release the song unless they can fake a viral moment on TikTok. Everything is marketing, they added. Um, They said, I just want to release music, man. The 
Um, and I deserve better, to be honest. I am tired. And then after that, all these other celebrities uh, kind of took to TikTok and talked to, talked about their experience. FKA Twigs did. A couple of, I mean, Charlie XCX has done it. It's quite interesting how you have to basically cater to TikTok now before you can do anything else. Well, it's this idea that you need to have this, like, dance challenge or something, uh, you know, create some sort of buzz so that the song can be used by a lot of people. Yeah. Because it does yeah. influence the um, where it is on the charts. But, like, also that's just stifles to, you know, you're, Yeah, you're feeding creativity. into that. I feel like that's always been the case. It's just this is the, the platform that people are using. This now. is a newer, yeah. Exactly. This is how it, yeah. I see it. Well, Halsey, I hope you figure it out because I do like the song. It's time for the, t- well, that's your tea report. We got more coming up next time. <laughs> that's hour. right. Lizzo said, you know, for her latest song, she was like, see, everyone's doing the dance. It's going to go viral. That's what every artist wants, right? Yeah. I mean, you, I, yeah, I guess that's the way that it works now. <laughs> yeah. Well, next up, the Depp Heard trial and how bias can impact our moral judgment. More next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. You know, if you've been keeping up with the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial, yes, it has been bizarre, but many experts in violent um, moral reasoning and domestic abuse say this case is actually an important cultural moment. It shows who we believe, how we believe, and the links people go to to convince themselves their beliefs are true. Joining us to chat about this idea in how we should be looking at cases like these, regardless of the funny TikTok moments that we're seeing in the tone-deaf celebrities who are making fun of this trial. Dr. Josh Claypo, our resident psychologist and therapist, is joining us to break all this down on his thoughts about everything that's happening. Welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here, guys. Good to be here. Yeah, that's a... Um it's, there's a lot of layers to what's going on, uh, what we're watching and what we're seeing. And uh, everything from what we're watching and seeing from um, Johnny and Amber to the attorneys, to the forensic experts, to your point, Ryan, to the um, some of the tone-deaf comments, to the TikToks. I mean, it's just every level is a real statement about how we view celebrities and how we view um, domestic violence. It, it's, it's in every aspect of what, we're, of what we're seeing. And then, unfortunately, because of this, I think, you know, in the end, this is something real for a lot of people, right? Even though there's like, yes. celebrity and pop culture involved. But how does uh, personal biases influence how we might think about perpetrators and victims? Yeah, so I, th- there's two pieces here. One, and, and we can't do this, but we need to do this. We do need to try to remove the celebrity piece of it. Um, we can't in this case, but, but, but that's another layer that's playing into it. So, you know, when you're thinking about domestic violence, um, the biases that we have going in have a lot to do not just with how the, the, um, the, alleged victim or the alleged perpetrator portray themselves, but also what we bring in individually with our perceptions about what is right, what is wrong, what is okay in a relationship, what is not, um, how we see violence, um, how we see truth telling, and even down to things like, and I know they've had tons of people about doing this, how we watch and interpret body movement, tone of voice, all of that, it all feeds into biases that we have. We very often 
are not capable at all of sticking to the facts. Mm-hmm. We can't. We're, we're wired to, to throw in all of our beliefs and our even irrational beliefs about what this is and what this isn't. Yeah, I mean, it was just a few years ago when everyone was, you know, screaming from the rooftops, believe, you know, survivors believe victims of these type of situations. And it seems like, you know, a years fast forward years later, a lot of people have forgotten these moments. So I'm wondering, how do we have, how do we continue these conversations of, remembering what this is when we're talking about domestic violence or abuse of any kind and just automatically, I don't know, creating some sort of sensitivity around it. I don't, I just don't know. It just, it's been actually quite wild to see people's um, really interesting reactions to this entire thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, you've got two, you have two people, but their celebrity persona um, almost allows us to detach from it. Um, allows a lot of people to detach from it. We're not talking about a people. We're talking about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, right? Characters, um, which is sad because it's exactly to your point. If you remove their names and you talk about what's going on, this is um, alleged domestic violence. Now, at the same time, if you're saying, you know, you're basing this on it's alleged, the, the topic itself, the allegation itself is is as serious as it possibly could be. Whether he's, you know, whether one of them is innocent or not, we are talking about bodily harm, and I think that's the part where we've got to dial in on because there's nothing funny about it, yeah. right? There's nothing light about it. Innocent or guilty, the topic itself is incredibly serious, and that's the part where. I think some of our natural defense mechanisms are to lighten it up, mm-hmm. um, particularly for those of us who have not intimately been a part of this. We just lighten it up and we say it's Johnny and Amber. But the reality is this is a conversation that has to be always taken seriously. Whether or not we know what is true and what is not true, we have to take the conversation seriously. You don't make light of it in any way. Because you're talking about potentially somebody's life. But once it, the conversation's already made light of, it's kind of hard to switch the narrative. So I'm like... Hey, calling I, each other out and call each other forth does help. Yeah, but does it really? I mean, at this point, we've seen... There's like thousands of TikToks that have been made of audio clips yeah. of Amber testifying. I, and I, I it's just so gross. And that's what I'm saying. So how do we really change mm-hmm. this narrative into making it on the right side of history? Because at this point, once it catches fire... It's already burning. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, turning this one around, this one around is, is like you said, it's already gone. But I do think that we focus on and we continue to talk about the topic. Because that's the thing. No matter how ridiculous and dark and, and obscene some of the TikToks and the memes are, it does give us an opportunity to pull back and say, to say, hey, we're talking about domestic violence. Even if you think this is a hot mess, this, this, yep. uh, right? So, so, yeah. so we have to get away. And this is not to any disrespect to either Johnny Depp or Amber Heard, but it already has taken off. And what we can do is say, this is domestic violence. Let's talk about the facts of domestic violence because you know what? It's in our face right now in this trial that everybody is making or many people are making light of so we're pivoting constantly back domestic violence domestic violence mental health issues all of that it's all wrapped up in this it's just that it's wrapped up in 
a level of, of packaging that a lot of us cannot cut through because of the because of who they are. Definitely. And just uh, 30 seconds left as uh, a therapist. What advice do you have for those watching and who might be triggered by all this right now? Well, you, number one, if you're triggered by this, take a step back. I mean, yeah, you yeah. take a step back from social media, take a step back and let people know, you know, people who are close to you. If somebody is saying something and is triggering you, let them know. Um, this is not something you want to talk about. You do not have to endure this mm-hmm. in any way. And for your own protection and self-preservation, there is nothing more healthy than taking a step back from this because it is so saturating and in so many different places. Totally. Okay, well, you're going to stick around because after this, we're going to talk about something that comes up in some relationships and could actually really hurt and end your relationship, but how to, I wouldn't say avoid that, solve that issue next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Mindbodygreen.com. That's where you can find it. And one, do you want to reveal what it is? <laughs> the uh, big reveal? You go ahead. You can. You well, can. It's being... <laughs> Yeah, it's Let's being put the job on, great, great job, Doctor Josh. Let's Josh, share do my, her job. It's my interview. I'm interviewing you. She, she needs to earn the check. Yeah. <laughs> this is my this is my introduction. Doctor Josh was like, "Wait, y'all ain't paid me for this." Into uh, <laughs> psychology, you know. I said I wanted to get a master's. This is it. Okay, so it seems like it's relationships that are often pushed. Uh, you know, to the brink or like the discomfort Mm -hmm. that happens, the arguing. So this person said that it's actually something that couples should face. And while a lot of people might think it's the thing that breaks them up, it could actually make you stronger. Yeah. I mean, this is not the, let me say this. This is not the, oh, it's, it's healthy to, you know, it's healthy to argue, right? You always hear that. It's healthy to argue and couples that never argue. Those are the ones that have problems. Yes, couples who never argue about anything do have problems, but this is not about arguing. This is about being able to be in the presence of your partner um, when there is a lot of personal discomfort and emotional discomfort. And what's really interesting about this is we've all been there. The the smallest topics are the ones that trigger the biggest fights. Um, you know, you didn't do the dishes or you're, you didn't put your clothes away or you were too loud or whatever it is. And what people, what we always forget, or we can't figure things to figure out, like how, how do we go from that to these giant blowups? And the reason it happens is because we've had so much um, stock in our partners, the people we really love, the smallest things can trigger for us the deepest emotions. It's one thing if somebody, you know, who I don't know, or maybe even someone I work with, says something bad about me, and mine think Josh, you're a slob. Whatever. I don't really care. But if it's my wife, now it's, it's, it's striking at a much deeper level. Now, I may play it off as I don't feel anything. I may be defensive. Um, but even that defensiveness is then very often what triggers a larger argument. Because, oh, I'm not a slob, et cetera. And what this article is talking about is when the stakes are high, i.e. somebody we are with intimately, the tiniest things can cut the deepest, and we're typically most um, defensive about them. And so what the article is saying is if you can sit in the discomfort of what you hear from your partner, then you can work your way through that versus what most people do, which is, a immediate sort of shut down with the defense mechanism. Well, I think the 
here's what can go into the shutdown, and I think this is really interesting, but, you know, that may speak more to me than anything. I think a lot of times people shut down because there is a lack of trust, especially if people who automatically want to, like, jump into the discomfort and they don't have the range to really handle the conversation or, like, their communication Mm -hmm. isn't really, you know, they're not the right person to help navigate the discomfort, right? They think they are, but that person may, like, your partner may not trust you to be able to do that because it may have burned them in the past or it's, you know, it's one-sided or whatever Mm -hmm. kind of factors into that. So really this feels like it's a communication-style thing, but then also if someone thinks they, they have all the answers when they don't, then you can't really talk to someone who thinks they're always right. You're, you're absolutely right, and it, but it gets and it gets and it gets even deeper. So depending on what the topic is, and this is really hard. This is why we get in trouble in relationships because this is really hard for us to wrap our head around in the moment. If I find myself getting defensive over something like you know you left the dishes out or whatever. Um, Sometimes that has to do specifically with the dishes themselves, but very often it has to do not only with a dynamic between myself and my partner. You know, she thinks that I'm a slob or she may think I care about the relationship. So there's that part. But the other part that our brain brings up when we're sort of called out on something is all our own personal historical insecurities. My mom always treated me bad about it or I was the, you know, the runt of the, of the brothers and the sisters, like all of that historical past relationships, family of origin, emotionally can come forward. And so all of a sudden, what's leaving the dishes out goes from leaving the dishes out to this emotional explosion, which we may not put out there, but we're feeling it. And that's why these kinds of simple topics can be so emotionally charged. And that's why this article is saying, if you cannot do anything, if you can sit and recognize, okay, I am feeling the discomfort and say, why am I feeling it? Could it be more than just what they're talking about? What am I bringing to it maybe from my past? And what is that? What is them talking about it mean? That's where you're navigating into real intimacy and real connection. Yes. It Love it. Juicy stuff. All right. Well, that was Dr. Josh Claypo. <laughs> Thank you again. You are the worst. It's juicy. <laughs> juicy stuff. <laughs> he said juicy, I didn't. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. Josh. You're always so Thank wonderful. You Even when Cher ruins those triggering? good moments. I don't know. Juicy was triggering. <laughs> All right. Coming up, a flight attendant, share, uh, attendant shares why you should never use toilet paper on board. This freaked me out, actually, because I flew this morning. Next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The great toilet debate in the air. Uh, TikTok user Flight Bay, that's her name. She is a Bay and she's a flight attendant. She has been sharing her secrets of what she does and she actually works as a flight attendant based in Miami. I mean, Flight Bay says that, huh? Right, exactly. I love it. <laughs> love the brand. Um, and here's her latest tip of what you shouldn't be using on a flight. Um, use a tissue paper as opposed to a toilet paper and here's why. When turbulent sits and little boys and girls, well, little boys who are pointing and shooting, they kind of like, you know, point and shoot everywhere and so that usually ends up that usually ends up on the toilet paper. So if you don't want that kind of stuff, you know, in your nether regions, the tissue paper that's usually up top over yonder is cleaner. So just use that instead of the toilet paper. So that's it for your daily travel tip. Okay, well, I appreciate that. 
because Who's using the bathroom? this is then and me choosing the story. This is the big question that came up from Ryan. Who uses the bathroom on a flight? One that is so gross. If well, sometimes you don't have a choice. It's not like like yeah. Ideally, I go to the bathroom before the flight. You should and then always if Even I need then, to using public restrooms. Gross. Um. But once again, you got to do what you got to do. Obviously, it's not ideal, but like I, I'm not going to keep it in, it's including only a couple when you have hours. a flight. Yeah, but it's not healthy if you need. A like, couple hours is I fine. Can't, I'm sorry, You're not like staying Wait. there for 15 hours it holding it, it in. Cheer. For me, it, it makes a difference. I cannot focus well, when I need to go are, to the bathroom. You're also odor, so I, I think that I, is... I've always been this way, Ryan. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't no, an age older thing. Folks can't, you know, really hold it for. <laughs> No, do not. Maybe you should start wearing Depends. <laughs> yeah, just use it in your seat, and then just gross. change later. I mean, no, not you know. And I don't want to make fun seat? of anyone using Depends. No, I'm not making fun of anyone using Depends. I'm actually saying this might it's be an practical. opportunity for you. <laughs> um, I also think if you're on a window seat. A lot of times you're not getting up. Well, yeah, you don't no. Want to climb over everyone. All right, no. I say, hey, I need to go to the bathroom. This is a pretty normal you thing to do. You are so annoying. Don't talk to me once, if you're sitting next to me. <laughs> no, once. If I'm once in the window light. seat and our if like which window oh seat God. always, but like I don't want. I wouldn't want anyone if I'm in the middle or the end to talk to me. Don't talk to me. Asking for someone just to move to go to the bathroom Don't, isn't talking. I'm not moving. I'm, How I'm do you sleeping survive with this time. attitude? I'm sleeping the entire time, which is why I, I go the extra mile to purchase window seats so no one bothers me. But then what if you have to go to the bathroom? You've not once I've, had to go to the bathroom I've on a flight? I've literally never used well, the listen, flight air, like an on-the-flight bathroom. That, in your whole life? In my life, whole entire life, I've never used it. That is I, crazy. My flights are always like, sure, like they're only like four, like the most is like six hours and I just use the bathroom once I land in the See airport. Me, I can't. Or I use the bathroom eat, before, like a responsible I, human. No, I can't eat or drink or do anything or do my work or watch a movie if I need to go to the bathroom. And so sometimes it just like hits and you're like, okay, need to do this right now. I guess we found out what you and toddlers have in common. <laughs> You know because what, they can't either. You're doing an international flight soon. Well, of course, that, that's different. That's Good why I said luck. the most has been six. I'll probably use a bathroom. Like it, I'm doing like a 10, 15 hour flight for sure. Yeah, I'll use the bathroom then. But even then, I'm gonna bring my own wet wipes. That's a good idea. Now, I mean, I yeah. hear from her that that is true. And actually, speaking of which, another flight attendant said um, to Mel Magazine that if you're going to go to the bathroom, the two times to go is up to 10 minutes. Um, oh, that when you need, if you need to do number two, maybe even you want need some peace and quiet. You don't want to feel. Don't rushed, right? use don't so no wait, number she twos. Says the perfect time is as the the seatbelt signs off because most people don't Ugh. need to go to the bathroom yet. And then the other one is when there's drink service because most people just want to get their drinks right, so they're not going to be don't going to the bathroom. Use the, number two. <laughs> those are the two the times airplane. to do it. Be a human. That is ways to be. Don't a human. be like a monster and do number two oh on the flight. That's disgusting. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 